In central Iran, at the foot of a low hill overlooking a seemingly endless plain, stand a few broken ruins, reaching impossibly high. A few of them display the stern, proud faces of bulls and eagles, battered by 2,300 years of history. In the great Apadana that once stood there, Darius, king of kings, would sit and preside over a parade of nations that came to honor him. Sumerians, Babylonians, Assyrians, Egyptians, Greeks, Medes, Canaanites, Indians, and Bactrians. This was the most diverse, multicultural empire of the ancient world. This was Persia. Blind History, Season 3, and we've incorporated into one episode a number of powerful men two and a half thousand years ago, roughly, who began an empire called the Achaemenid, or the Persian Empire. It was founded by Cyrus the Great, who we'll get to in a minute, ranging in its greatest extent from the Balkans, Yugoslavia, you know, modern Croatia, would have been the furthest west that it went, all the way to the Indus Valley in the east, which is in the border between India and Pakistan. It was larger than any previous empire in history. It spanned 5.5 million square kilometers, incorporated people of different origins and faiths, notable for its successful model of a centralized bureaucratic administration, for building roads and infrastructure, a postal system which we still use today, and an official language across all the territories, despite other languages being part of all of its day-to-day stuff, the development of civil services, a large professional army, the empire's successes inspired similar systems in empires like Greece and Rome and all the others that have come since. It's amazing. The Persian Empire is our focus for today, and we'll talk about King Cyrus, we'll talk about Darius I, sometimes called Darius. The actual way you pronounce Cyrus is Kirush in Persian. And from that also, they say, comes Caesar. Anthony Medera and I have been uh, researching, poring over work. We've been reading tons about Persia, so we can transmit this useful information to you. And he's here. So what do we think of the Persians? Incredible. I didn't know a lot about them. Mm -hmm. And when I think about Alexander the Great, now I know why he went that route. And also why Alexander the Great's regarded as so great, because if he'd conquered some rubbishy little empire... Nobody would have cared. Mm. And a lot of people date the end of the Persian Empire to 330 BC when he defeated Darius III at uh, the Battle of Gargamela. But the reality is that Alexander was the last Persian king. That's right. He incorporated everything that was great about Persia into the way that he ruled for those succeeding years, few as they may have been. So I say that the end of the Persian Empire is 323 BC. Yeah, he brought the prostating, which is what they used to do. And he brought that into his... Prostating. Yes. But like where you go down... What is on, it? Yes. Where you prost, prostrate yourself before is the Is it king. prostrate or prostrate? I, I don't know, but it sounds bloody horrible, whatever it is. <laughs> so, this is where you had to make obeisance <laughs> to the king, right? Correct. And his fellow Macedonians hated it. They, <laughs> why do we need... Because they used to slap each other on the backs. So they almost had a brotherly type of way. Whereas the Persians, why well, no? No, you, the Persians were... Now, they were a tremendously sophisticated, very culturally aware 
sensitive and gentle civilization, despite their very military side as well. Uh, I think most of the, the inheritance we have from ancient Persia is of manners and of the way we eat mm. and the way we present gifts and even the way we dress. I mean, the Persians were basically like the most cultured of all the people of the ancient world. You know, they wore these elaborate crowns and footwear. And I mean, most of the rest of the ancient world was pretty barbaric. And the Persians had a way, but they had channels carved into rock that flowed through the gardens of their palaces. And this is in what is today Iran, you know, kind of dusty and maybe a little bit of grass. But in between this, they would dig these channels and they'd line them with stone. And these would feed water into these gardens, which ultimately made these places look like lush forests. Like oases. Yeah. Cyrus the Great, who was the, the first Persian king, the founder of the Persian Empire, is buried in the capital of his then empire. It's called Basagade, which is in Iran. It's in the mountains in the south of Iran. And it's really quite extraordinary that they've managed to keep any of it for, you know, two and a half thousand years. You'd expect most of it to disappeared but his tomb is over there and it's a little house it's basically got a slanted roof it's up on three steps and it's got a little entrance for i don't know how long it must have been about five or six hundred years his body lay undisturbed there i mean that's just amazing it's incredible and if we look at the beginning they were nomadic and even during the time of cyrus and doris the great and xerxes they still were semi-nomadic so they did move around a lot in summer they would go up into the hills mm. and in winter when it was colder they would go down into the plains so they, they moved around a lot so that's why they had different um headquarters or whatever you want to call it yeah they, different they'd cities. move their they'd move their capital as they moved and sheep they were basically tending sheep and cattle and that's where it started in the beginning they made an early alliance with the medes so the place called media which is sort of between the southern shores of the Caspian Sea and what we call modern-day Iran, was where the Medes used to live. And the Persians and the Medes made an early alliance. And from there, they expanded outward into places like Bactria and Sogdiana and Canaan and Babylonia, Assyria. Yes, so so the whole of Mesopotamia, then Egypt, and then the Indus Valley, three critical areas. And what was so interesting about Cyrus is that he's regarded as being the first real multiculturalist. Now, he was emperor, king of this vast Persian territory. And in it, they had all these different tribes that spoke all these different languages, had all their own cultural and religious beliefs. And it's widely believed, like in the ancient world, there weren't a lot of people who were very tolerant. You know, if you weren't like me, I killed you. Mm. And Cyrus was sort of the first guy to come along and say, no, actually, it's perfectly acceptable for us all to share the space, to be equal in the state, to all practice our own different religions. And nobody has to fight with each Mm. other. I'm your king. I'll make the decisions. Mm. You guys just worry about getting along and keep the economy going. And they built roads, and he built his palaces, which they called Apadanas. And through the course of history, we're not going to go into huge detail around any of these people in particular, but you, you might have stories about particularly Darius I. Some people say Darius, but Darius I, Darius III... Xerxes, Artaxerxes, these are the great Persian kings. And Cyrus was famous for having united the kingdom, really, pushed it to its military extent as far as possible, and having instituted a sense of multiculturalism and Mm. peace in that part of the world. 
So if we look at Cyrus and his grandfather Astygus, if that's the correct way of pronouncing it, he had a dream, and this is part legend, part true. He had a dream that his daughter was bleeding from her uterus, and that scared him. And he went to an interpreter. They said, now look, uh, your daughter's child will end up taking over from you. So what he did was when the daughter's child was born, she was married to a prince, Prince Cambasis I. And they took control of the baby and told his closest general to have the baby murdered. Wow. Yeah. That would have been Cyrus. Cyrus. The general couldn't do that. And so he gave it to a shepherd. So if we look at that type of story, even related to the story wow. of Jesus. That and even the story of Moses and, and Moses. You know, being found in the reeds. Yeah. So then what happened at 10 years old, he showed incredible qualities. And Astagas actually found out, no, there's something wrong here. You didn't kill him. So he invited his general to a big banquet. And his food was on a different plate. He had a different meal to everybody else, but it tasted and looked good. And he said, you know what you've just eaten? You've just eaten your son. And that's in payback to what you've done with Cyrus. You know, the system of government that they had was what they called satraps. They used to have these governors in different provinces, and largely the word governor is descended from satrap. That was an old Persian word. There are a number of different languages, which we've already discussed, but old Persian, um, which they called Iranian, which is where the name of mm. Iran comes from now, was the main language. And then they would usually print everything in three. So they'd say it in Persian, then they'd say it in, for example, Aramaic or in Median. Mm. And then you'd have three translations. Then this is how they figured out in the 1800s when they discovered places like Persepolis. They rediscovered them. They figured out how to read cuneiform writing because you had three languages saying the same thing. And they actually found two plates one of gold and one of silver, buried in the foundations of Persepolis later on. We'll get to that when we get to Darius, because he was the guy who founded that yeah, city. Yeah, that's right, that city. But Cyrus then, uh, when he came to power, he went against his maternal grandfather and basically started building his empire. And Astagas straight away knew most of his army then went across to Cyrus. So obviously Cyrus was dynamic and had great pulling power. People wanted to be with him. So it wasn't always force that made him grow his empire. Often it was charisma. Yeah, it was charisma. And there was a lot of that rather than force. He seems to have been a very tolerant guy because we are yeah. talking about, you know, 500 BC here. Mm. And Cyrus is also well documented in an archaeological item called the Cyrus Cylinder, which I think the British Museum has. And the Cyrus Cylinder, you roll it out on a piece of clay and then it prints out basically on soft clay what is written on the cylinder. It's a clever way of printing, you know, before mm. the press was invented. And it's like the first ever declaration of human rights, saying that everybody has equality before the law. And these were tremendous concepts for people 500 years before Christ. Yeah, I mean, life was very cheap then. You know, so it's amazing that they had that. Look, he could be brutal when he needed to be. Yeah. But in general, you're 100% right. He was very open to his different satraps practicing different religions. Yeah. He embraced it when he went to Egypt. He embraced it. Importantly, when he conquered, let's say, but he didn't actually, they just went across to him, Babylonia. He released all the Jews and they went back to Jerusalem and he assisted in, in rebuilding, you know. The second temple. Exactly, yeah. Cyrus is only one of a few foreign rulers described in positive terms in the Old Testament. 
and he was actually regarded very highly throughout the ancient world from that point on. He also had, I suppose, he had the, the job of instituting a state religion. So if you didn't have your own little religion, which he'd let you practice, there was Ahura Mazda, who was the god of the Persians. Hmm. He was this winged god who had like a spaceship, essentially. And they worshipped the fire that he left. And all over uh, modern Iran, you can find these platforms that were built where the priest would stand on one of the platforms and on another would be the fire itself. And they would keep these fires going. They'd only put them out when that king died. And then the new king would come and light the new fire. So the idea of an eternal flame comes Mm. from that. And also the fact that it was one God. I think maybe the monotheists can claim that the first monotheism was Judaism. And perhaps that predates Persia in some way. But it developed on its own. The idea of of Zoroaster or Zarthustra, and that's become a religion, which is still practiced, by the way, in Iran today. There are Zoroastrians in Iran, yeah, that still practice that religion. And that was Darius the first, really. Yeah. Well, talk about Darius, because you know Cyrus's tomb is still there. You can go and visit it. It's one of the proudest Iranian relics. And when I say Iran, I'm careful not to include some of the attributes of modern Iran, because Persia is a very different place, and a lot of Iranians refuse to be called anything but Persian, Mm. and some are completely supportive of the idea of Iran. But Cyrus's tomb is there. You can go and visit it today. There was apparently an inscription on it that read something like, you know, don't begrudge me this little tomb. And it might have been the inspiration for that Ozymandias quote, which we gave in Ramesses II. Because he he had this tiny, humble little tomb. Mm. It wasn't anything fancy. I think he was an incredible leader. I mean, what I've read of him and about him, it's incredible what he achieved. He had two sons. Another Cambyses. Cambyses died reasonably early, and that's where there, there was a void, and the brother took over. Bardia. Bardia, was the that's it. About. But he didn't last actually very long. He was murdered by Cambyses, mm. but also the story goes that Darius murdered him. Darius was the successor, then Darius the Great. Darius the Great, but Darius wasn't linked to Cyrus. No. His dad, his stappies, he was a provincial governor in mm-hmm. Parthia. And Doris was his son, but he became part of the royal Well, he court. claims that they all come from, you know, before that Achaemenes, who's the founder of the dynasty, which is like the great, great grandfather. But to get into Darius, let's just talk about him for a little bit. This guy organized things like very few people. Once he had managed to get rid of this Bardia, He set up the capital in Persepolis, where he built this enormous palace. It was in the middle of nowhere, really. They still ruled from Susa a lot of the time. But they had a famous royal road that went all the way from Susa to Sidon, which is in Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon. And they managed under Darius I to conquer an even greater extent of what was the territory that Cyrus had already managed to concentrate very much on the Danube and cross the Danube deeper into Europe. Unbelievable. And he became Pharaoh of Egypt because he conquered the the weak last dynasties of Egypt. Correct. Yeah. So these guys were emperors of the world and all the way to India further than Cyrus went. But what was incredible about him was also his administration. He started working out weightage, coins, all of these things. I mean, that's two and a half thousand years ago. Well, what's amazing about him too is that we mostly know about him in Western history because the Greeks gave Western history over to their descendants. And the Greeks like to portray the Persians as being these tyrants and these autocrats and these really uncompromising militant 
tyrannical rulers. The fact is that someone like Darius was actually a, a very tolerant mm. uh, leader, just like Cyrus before him. There is, however, the, the Battle of Marathon, which is well known to us because of Greek history. And the Battle of Marathon is only relevant to us because to Darius it was probably nothing. I mean, he had this massive empire and the mm. Greeks were like a flea on a, you know, on a bear's nose. But essentially this guy lost the Battle of Marathon because of that famous run of Pheidippides. Correct. And who, that's what you call Marathon. Uh, who warned the, the Greeks that the Persians were mm. approaching. Yeah, so in Marathon they were pushed off the beach, mm-hmm. the Persians. But they'd already come across, they'd already been quite successful to the point of Marathon. So the Marathon was important in that that was the peak of the Persian Empire. Yeah. Because they had already the Iron Peninsula, so they had quite a lot of control coming south into Greece, the Persians. And so they wanted Greece, they wanted the Greek Peninsula, and that was quite a big failure for Darius, and it hit him hard. And you can definitely see in his son that burning ambition to get retribution later on for what happened. And, and Darius, was, well, he was going to go back. But then he had problems in Egypt, and then he died. And when he died, it was Xerxes' turn. Correct. And Xerxes is also portrayed in, in modern representations like that movie 300 as being this monstrous guy who, you know, was almost like semi-demonic and who controlled this army of millions. And essentially, he was a, a very powerful leader at the time. He completely eclipsed the power of any Greek army. But he wasn't demonic. He, he was trying to rule Persia the mm. best way he could. Correct. And he was a brave man too, also pushing the limits, trying to administer an ever-increasing territory, running things really from a very centralized system. And completing a lot of the projects because Doris mm. died quite suddenly. Usually you get a, a good king and then their success is mm. usually terrible. In this case, Xerxes was complementary to the reign of Darius. And Cambyses was complementary to Cyrus. Mm. So, in essence, you had a very strong 200 years. Yeah. It's what they're talking about until Alexander the Great. You know, in general, they ruled quite well. But there's a big famous story around Xerxes' take on Greece. And he did destroy Athens. And he did destroy the Spartans. But over five days, he watched how many of his soldiers were murdered by the Spartans. And a small group of Spartans. It's been famous movies being made about it, hmm. the Battle of Thermopylae, and it took him five days to destroy them. Nobody ran away. They died to the man. He was a pretty good administrator, too, and a good general, but he, he was also quite humble compared to his predecessors because they used to call themselves King of Kings, hmm. and he actually abandoned that title, and he also abandoned the title of King of Babylonia and called himself just the King of the Persians and the Medes, even though he ruled over it really at its territorial apex. Hmm. And those battles that he won... The Mapalai is the well-known one that you've just mentioned. And in order to do that, he did build a bridge of boats over the Hellespont. 100% right. That they took everything, including elephants, over. So they first built the bridge with the boats. I think it would have been excess 200 boats. Mm -hmm. Then massive wind came up and just destroyed everything. But he (laughs) stayed there, and then they rebuilt it. And two weeks later, they crossed the Hellespont. And it's famous because Alexander the Great, it was all driven into his psyche. That was why he had to cross the Hellespont. He knew about Xerxes and what he did. All of these things drove Alexander. The Battle of Thermopylae, all of those things, Philip and Philip's predecessors from Macedonia, they drummed into them, but they just weren't strong enough yet. There are historians who've said that if things had gone differently, either at the battles of Marathon and Thermopylae, most famously, or at any other stage where the Persians and the Greeks had come into 
into contest, we might not have had Western civilization the way that we know it. And things might even have been better, not necessarily worse. Um, He was ultimately assassinated by his own royal bodyguard, Artabanus. And then from there on, it really descended. Mm. You didn't have the same kind of power. Administratively, it fell down. Satraps rebelled. The territory was much reduced. There were places like Greece that were on the rise. Uh, They had endless trouble in, in Lydia and other parts of the kingdom. And it ends with... Darius III, who went to fight Alexander, realized he was losing the battle at Gargamela, fled away in his chariot, and he was eventually murdered by his own people. And Alexander was so upset that he ordered a a royal funeral for Darius, married his daughter, and had him treated like his own father, essentially, in death. And Alexander did become king of kings. Unfortunately, he also ruined Persepolis. Because while they were staying in Persepolis, which was this magnificent palace that Darius I had built, Alexander and his men got drunk, and they fell asleep, and someone set fire to something. And when they woke up the next morning, the whole place had burnt down around them. And he regretted that, huh? Hugely. And it stayed that way for 2,000 years until mm. they dug it out of the desert sands in Iran. And you know that nobody really knew about Persepolis. Only in the spring they used to go there. The rest of the world didn't know about it, mm. and uh, the Greeks didn't know about it. And Alexander, he was absolutely in awe when I read the time that he actually came to the city that he didn't know anything about, and he just couldn't believe it. Well, that's the story of the Persians. I found out when I did one of those genetic tests, I've got 3% Persian in me. Well, that's interesting. Who knew? Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. The full series is available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next on Blind History, Louis XIV, King of France. Xerxes was the son of Doris I and Atossa, which is an interesting name. <laughs> that was his mom? That was, yes. His mom was called Atossa? Atossa. Xerxes' mom was called Atossa. <laughs> And she was actually the daughter of Cyrus. Not the great. Yes. And you know, Adarus was just an usurper. His father and his grandfather were still alive. Oh, okay. So it wasn't so a proper he, succession. Yeah. He didn't follow the rules. No, he didn't follow the rules. Summon a bitch. 